0: Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. My name's Nick. I'm with my guys, Todd and Rowett, to talk about one of the craziest F1 seasons we've had in the last at least two years. I don't want to go too far back because it's kind of hard to top that, but we were just doing a little recap mentally here before the show, and it was a good season.
1: So we got a lot to talk about. What's good, guys? A lot is good. All things considered, and that ties into the pre-gaming we were talking about where we're coming up with NPR equivalents for all of Nick's podcasts. It's been a crazy season. It's been crazy dominant from one person, but it's also been crazy intriguing because as we were kind of going through the numbers in terms of backing up our hot takes, whether it'll be in this episode or the next episode you hear, there is a bit of intrigue. You just need to know where to look, and that's kind of been an overarching theme of Formula One in the last three years, I would say. What do you think, Todd?
0: Oh,
2: man. I think if you took out one max a million for Stappen, this was a really good year. Like, I don't know if we'll ever see, the like going back to the max thing, I don't know if we'll ever see that level of dominance again. That surpassed like 2018, 2019 Lewis dominance by a long shot. That was amazing in its own right, all the records he set. But if you take that out, the battle for P2 through p you know, six, seven, whatever we were talking about earlier was really good. The changes to the constructors over the season, it was, was a really good year.
0: Yeah. Honestly, now that I, now that we're saying this out loud, I think I went into this season, obviously go into it a little bit optimistic, but I went into this season a little more pessimistic than I normally would. Cause Max just looked like he was going to kill everyone. And it turned out way better than, I mean, he did, but like the season was still really entertaining. It's a lot like Vegas, to be honest. Like, I think we all thought Vegas was like a shit show. I'm pretty sure our last episode, I titled it something about Vegas shit show has begun or something. And now here we are like a couple weeks later, season's over. And like, looking back, the Vegas race itself potentially the best race of the year if not the best race of the last few years for me like there was just so much action aside from max so
1: I agree with that. Uh, Vegas was a startling amount of fun. And much like going to Vegas for the first time as a human being, it is a lot of fun. I think the hangover comes when you keep going back every so often. So the aging of Vegas was going to be a very interesting topic to follow for the next couple of years. But the other thing that we were all chatting about was the fact that for me, what intrigued me the most about Vegas was the fact that Formula One drivers are creatures of habit. We all know about this. They all like to brag about how they can drive any track blindfolded because the sheer amount of time they spend in simulators or actually being in the car and running those races, they've got it down to a science. And it's very refreshing and unique to see all 20 of these dudes hop on a track for the very first time in a racing-like setting and figure shit out. Because it's like being a parent. There are moments where you're like, oh no, oh no, put don't put your hand down there, you just pooped. And then there are other moments like, You just made a complete sentence. Who are you?
2: As a father to a one and a half year old, I understand that reference so well. You don't understand. You have no idea. Are you telling me you
1: fell in love with the cocoa?
2: Yes. As as much as Young Dolph loves it. Yeah. Yeah, was that was Young Dolph, right? No, it was Ot Genesis, sir. Ot Genesis. Genesis. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Of of other famous, cut it, cut it. Um, <laughs> that that race. So I now I have to ask this question because I went on a rant. I think we were actually recording the last last podcast during free practice one.
1: Yep, and during and, the man and I went on saying. a rant
2: about how much of a spectacle shit show it was. Now that you've had time to digest that event, do you agree? Disagree? Because I'm still on the train and I talked to trav about this in the discord um actually just a couple days ago i still hate that like spectacle i know that i'm not the everyman f1 fan like i'm a nerd and i want to talk about you know the porpoising yeah porpoising and cooling ducts and you know or the uh, just weird technical garbage that most people don't care about but the spectacle, like if you're gonna get people into a race of any sort, motor sport of any sort, like the racing itself has to be good, and granted the f one race was but like everything surrounding it, I still hate so much. so what do you guys think? Is it did you guys like the whole like player entrances and Michael buffer? Oh my God, that moment with Michael buffer and Sergio Perez best moment of the season
0: that was that was painful
1: that is why I love that race. If you can give me one random driver a year having to be subjugated to that, then I'm all in. You can have that race as long as you want. I mean the only thing missing uh missing to me was Wayne Newton awkwardly serenading Max Verstappen after he won the race. Like that that would have been great. It's not a <laughs> sure to be loved by... no, that's Manolo, isn't it? Uh oh, I that's no Manolo, yeah.
0: I, Is it I I actually I think so. I actually think hologram I, I'm I'm just happy that hologram Sinatra didn't show up at some point because
1: uh, don't give I, him ideas, Nick. That sounds like the most liberty media thing ever.
0: Yeah. Well, so that and like the other the other staple when you're in Vegas is all of the stripper flyers that they're try- oh, trying to handle yeah. you. The heartbeat I mean, of Vegas, as su- someone
1: <laughs> pointed out to me.
0: I'm surprised that uh, we didn't see that somehow make its way on screen or into the gamut that is the Vegas shit show. Now, that is an idea that I want to see.
2: P- random person that passes out said stripper flyers, if you can find an overpass and just make that rain over the track during the race somehow.
1: No, no, no. I, I'll one up you. There's a sphere in the middle of that race course. I just need to see images of scantily clad women or have different laps sponsored. Like these next five laps are sponsored by the No. experiment right now ballers
0: yes I mean it it, it did seem like the the car ride after the race was like should have went straight to a strip club and not to the podium right or not to the interviews like that was a, a very awesomely awkward moment of like Max and Checo and Lando right was it Lando yeah Wait, did he get p 3
1: P3? I'll look it up. Okay. Listen, what? it's been a minute. We're trying to get our chemistry right. So as I look up who got P3, Nick, continue with your point.
0: Basically, uh, Leclerc, the back of a Sergio. Rolls Royce. Yeah. It, it's just like so awkward. And it's like these guys, they barely want to hang out in that room after the races when it's a normal room on their on their own. But then sitting awkwardly in the back of a Rolls Royce. Where it looks like Max is almost sitting on their laps, and Sergio is just like staring off into the abyss, like contemplating on whether or not he'll be back next season. Like it was just like also painful, also sad to say it. Great entertainment.
1: <laughs> By the way, the p uh, the podium for the Vegas race was Max Verstappen in his customary first, Charles Leclerc in second, and Sergio in third.
0: Don't forget
1: yeah, Best Bessie was number four, but Lando, I believe, wasn't that the race he was the la- Yeah, he didn't yeah. finish
0: Yeah, that was the wreck Yep,
2: DNF Probably, <laughs> honestly, the difference Between him getting
1: P4 and P7 since he in, the,
0: overall, in the overall
1: Standings, listener I, I, I didn't mean, yeah. want you to think that Todd had a Concussion and said, yeah, if he finished He would have been at P4 <laughs> <but." laughs> yeah.
0: Sorry, that was totally A reference to our pre-show ramble It's a- Well and I think that's an important, important point to make, though. Like, like you said, so I pulled it up. We got Max with 575 points, Sergio with 285, Lewis with 234, Fernando Alonso with 206, Charles Leclerc with 206, Lando Norris with 205, Carlos Sainz with 200, and George Russell with 175. Like, you're talking about, you know, roughly 60 points between third and eighth. And roughly a hundred points between second and eight. I don't think we've had that tight of racing in the midfield or the top of the midfield, I should say.
1: The upper midfield. Yep.
0: Yeah. In a long time. Like I can't think of a time where like really like outside of max, anybody could have won a race at any moment. The last half of the season.
1: So let me ask you this, Nick, because I think if there was exhaust notes, bingo, we all have our verbal crutches and phrases we like to rely on. Do you feel that we truly got the competitive nature that Formula One, Liberty Media, everybody in between and everywhere else were able to achieve with these new uh, regulations? Because I think early returns are good.
0: So I would say
1: this season
0: was great for – guys like Todd and I, who are like really into the racing aspect of it. Right. Because there's a lot of, there was a lot of great races. There was a lot of back and forth on the points. Like there was a lot of surprises, right? We both looked at this at the um, driver standings before the show and were like, there's definitely things that we saw that we didn't actually realize happened. I think that is a beautiful thing. It's really hard to say that like overall it was great because nothing will ever touch Max and Lewis for the the everyday fan or the casual fan, right? Like people want to see a winner. You know, they want to see the battle for first. Like that's what that's what most fans look for in every form of sports, right? And I think that's the toughest part about racing is like if somebody is dominant like that, and like frankly, like we've we've kind of been in like a a long era of dominance, right? Like we've had. Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen—you know, I don't know what they have, but they've got, let's say, eighty percent or more of of the titles in the last fifteen, twenty years. However far back we can go with that, probably to '06, something like that. So, I think it's a tough, tough question to answer. But like that would be kind of the way I look at it. Is like it was great for for fans of of motorsports. I think there's a lot of entertainment for people that are casual fans, but I don't think it'll ever touch the, the like. You know, circus that Max and Lewis put on back and forth, you know, a few years back. What do you think, Todd? 2009, from then on, it's been
2: either Red Bull or Mercedes. 2009,
0: so Sebastian was 2009
2: through 13, and then 14 was Lewis, except for that one Nico year in 2016. And since. Since then, it's been Max. <clears throat> we had a couple of years, because before that, it was Schumacher. So F1's yeah. always kind of been that way. There's always that one dominant driver with the dominant team at the right time, you know. But I... I like you kind of just alluded... Not alluded, just stated. um It was... I, I also went into the season with like a pessimism, just like okay, you know, is Red Bull going to win by 30 seconds or 40 seconds every race? And (laughs) there was a lot of that, right? We definitely saw a lot of that. But there was also races where, like, on pace, people overtook Max for the lead. So there was, like, a little bit of a fight, kind of. But um, from P2 down, it was kind of a crapshoot. Who's what? Week is, you know, like what week and what constructor is having a good week of that? You know, of the last season. So overall, I think it was a, a really good season. There was definitely some sh- shite races we saw. Like we went yeah. from the best race of the season in Vegas to probably the worst race of the season in Abu Dhabi. Would you guys agree? Like oh, there was
1: yeah.
2: almost yeah. nothing was happening in that race. Yeah. Like that's generally not a big overtake track anyway. And they are, you know, they have enough money to just be the last, to pay to be the last race of the season. But it kind of shows the juxtaposition of what our season was. Like, we had, you know, some really, really good races in there. Monaco, uh, Silverstone. Uh, well, no, Monza didn't happen because of the rain. Yeah,
1: I can't uh, stand the good. rain, like Missy Elliott said. <laughs>
2: But there was, there was some good races in there and just, I feel like the most interesting part was the constructors battle. Like we started the season with, um, like, you know, dominance, so to speak in, in for P2 with, uh, Aston Martin, and then it moved on to Ferrari briefly. And then it was kind of back and forth between them until the midway. Part point of the season, and then McLaren came out of nowhere, it was just like, "Oh hi, we're be- we're second best now," and yeah. then it was and slipping back and forth. You know,
1: it was, and I think this is a point I made in a previous episode, which was this season for me will be characterized by almost it was broken up into trimesters. In the first trimester, you thought Aston Martin would be the uh, team that would give Max a run for the money. Ferrari had a moment of competence every now and then. Mercedes also had an extended period of, hey, they look professional, they might be able to get something out of it. But I like this notion that if you remove Master Stappen from this season, this might have been the most competitive and most entertaining because it truly felt like any. There were three teams that could have easily made a claim for second place in the constructors, and that's the new first, as far as I'm concerned. So good on you, Liberty Media.
0: <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> almost mean, four I teams, mean, actually, right? Yeah, almost. Yeah, McLaren, I'm, I'm looking at it because it's like Mercedes. Aston, Mercedes, Mercedes actually Mercedes took Ferrari. second. Yeah, yeah. Four. It's it's pretty it's pretty impressive. I I think like the uh, the odd the odd thing, and we kind of alluded to this. Like, you know, because those top four teams and those top, you know, let's say seven eight drivers took so much of the points. Like the bottom half was really the bottom bottom half, right? And I was actually surprised. I I guess I knew this, but I didn't know this to see Williams was actually uh, finished seventh over Alpha Tori. Yep.
2: I mean, not only that is
0: still Yuki still going to come back, Uh, you know, like I don't,
1: well, depending on who you ask earlier in the season,
0: (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I, I want Yuki to be there. Like I'm a, I'm a huge fan, but it's, it's weird that you would have so you would have such a poor performing team as like a sister team to, to like such a dominant champion team, you know? Yep. Well, they're only allowed
2: to copy so much of the homework. Yeah. I guess. I mean, they, they, much like has been the, the way of things in the NHL this season, they decided to part ways mutually with France tossed at the end of the year. I think he's actually genuinely retiring. But um,
1: yeah, he, I was going to say, it
2: wasn't Yuki's
1: helmet a picture of France? Uh, yeah, so that feels like it was an amicable split. That's Let that man ride off into the sunset.
2: I think Yuki has genuine love for France because he made him yeah. stop being a teenager and being like, hey, you're kind of a professional race car driver now. You're going to come live with me. It literally like made him come yeah. move to italy and <laughs> live with the team essentially yeah. and like go running and like start working on his fitness and stuff and honestly if it was like if it wasn't for some of the things that lando did when he
1: had the right car i would put yuki as the best driver would you say most improved life. how about most improved like who would you give most improved to like, no. because this is something I was also kind of thinking about as we were doing our pregame in formula one, we only care about P one in constructors and drivers. But if we tried to take, let's say an Americanized approach in terms of, Hey, there's like five awards we give, like who's your rookie of the year? Who's your MVP? Who's your MVP? That's not Max Verstappen. Who's been the biggest disappointment. Like those are the things in my mind it's a very hard question, or it's an interesting question. I'll say it that way. It's not hard, because I think arguments could be made for a number of different drivers, and I think ultimately, if we're being honest with ourselves as sports-watching public, that's what we want.
2: Yeah. I, I, I guess I, I would have to give it to Yuki. As most improved. It's hard, because Lando's already set a really high bar, but I also think that he got legitimately better. Like, he's entering his, like, like, sounds weird to say, but like his peak phase, because I still think he has like room to grow or whatever. But I think he's finally got enough years under his belt in F1 to know that, to know how good he is. And I feel like he lacked with confidence in his first several years in F1. But like, Yuki got everything thrown at him and he beat everybody that was uh, thrown at him. DR, Liam Lawson, Nick
1: DeVries, like pretty handedly. So, yeah, I guess I'd have to give it to Yuki. Yuki Tsunoda, pillar of consistency. Speaking of pillar of consistency, is Nick like what about you? Like who has been somebody that caught your eye from a driving perspective or a most improved driver candidate?
0: I mean, it's I I feel the same way that Todd feels about Lando, right? Like I think I think honestly the most improved anything on the track this year is is the McLaren team, right? Consistency like Get putting cars out there that are competitive every race, like they just haven't done that right, and that adds to Lando's confidence. Right? Uh, yeah. Is obviously why Oscar is, you know, kind of coming out like. He's a rookie high. of the year, as, yeah, as, I, as far, far yeah, as That's easy. Yep, there's no debate there. Yeah. And I think that's a that's a huge thing. Like the, the thing that's really interesting is like. So like with Red Bull, right? Like Max has the confidence in those Honda engines. Red Bull has the confidence in those Honda engines. It doesn't translate down to Tori for some reason. The same thing kind of happens in the Mercedes world. But now we're seeing McLaren actually have the confidence in everything, almost to the point of, will they beat Mercedes again, right? Like there's definitely, you know, like the possibility of that happening next year. I think the, the the weird part about like the improvement side of things driver wise is there's so many variables it makes it really difficult. Like with the NBA, you can look and say, Hey, this guy brought it, you know, more rebounds, more assists, more more points, you know, points or whatever the point differential is while he's on the court. In racing, it's a little bit tough to say like the driver specifically like made drastic improvements because yuki's kind of the only guy that you could say like this guy ran through like the his direct competition and beat them every time through like there's nobody else that really had that so um i
1: i guess i go with yuki in that you know instance as well i think for me most improved is really an interesting topic because if we are looking at it from the nba sense it almost feels like with most improved you can reward it to two different type of players One is truly the most improved player, meaning somebody that kind of came out of nowhere and rose his or her level to, let's say, an above average or an all-star level. And then there are people, like I'll use the famous instance, I think John Morant won most improved player because he made that leap from perennial all-star to superstar. And if that's the case, for me, I get the Yuki argument. I think it's probably the better one to make. But if I'm being devil's advocate... I look at somebody like Alex Albon as the most improved, considering where he is with that Williams and the fact that he's able to do more impressive things in that Williams car than Yuki was able to do and not to take anything away from Yuki because, like you guys said, I did not have Yuki being the destroyer of Formula One dreams in terms of how many people he essentially slammed the door on within his own organization.
0: Yeah, I I think that's an interesting take. The reason why I, I didn't say Albon is because... I really thought Albon in the Red Bull car was going to be something that we was, I don't, I don't think like, I thought Albon at Red Bull would be like a long-term thing. Like I thought he had a ton of potential that I, you know, I know there's a lot of variables at Red Bull, you know, there's a lot of ego and like all of those things. But I think like, I guess if we're relating to basketball, it's like, I, I could never look at anybody on the 72 and 10 bulls or the, you know,
1: or the Warriors. I mean, a more modern day example is like a golden state warrior, right? Yeah. Like taking somebody here, like if Jordan Poole actually knew how to play the game of basketball in the team sense, him going from golden state to Washington and then possibly coming back because he's shown that maturity. That's what Alex Albon is actually doing where I yeah. still think to your point, Nick, he was probably as unfairly booted out of his chair, the same way Pierre Gasly was and the thing about albon is he just keeps his head down and he keeps driving and he does things like not stopping during an entire race unless it's (laughs) on the absolute last or he's a tire master like that's the thing that i'm most impressed by from an albon perspective because there is a versatility to his driving game that i don't necessarily see with yuki yeah i
0: think that's a great point I i think i think it's a flip of the coin with either of them to be honest like like I said I didn't ex- I did- looking at the standings I didn't realize that Williams like did beat out Alfatori like it's pretty crazy to think
1: I mean not only that and then this will be the end of my Alex Albon soapbox uh one of the most startling stats to me is of the 28 points that Williams scored Albon scored 27 that's yes. fantastic like, we we've always talk about the fact that in this sport, your ability to bank, uh, banish or vanquish, I wasn't sure which one I was going to go. I think I was going to go with vanquish, if that's even a word. Your ability to vanquish your fellow driver and your team is essentially what makes you a truly great driver. And granted, it's very easy to overturn a rookie like Logan Private, but at the same time, it still has to be impressive what he's done.
0: Agreed. I think Banquish is those uh, TV dinners, right? Those old school like oh the
2: dollar
1: banquet, (laughs) Banquish, Banquish. That sounds.
2: That doesn't. I feel like that's a
1: Scandinavian rapper that's about to take the Spotify world by storm. I have young Banquish, yeah. (laughs)
2: Um, so Albon, the reason I can't give him like most improved is because. He also wasn't really challenged. Like, Mr. What the fuck is a kilometer? Like, literally, we talked about it in the pre-show, excuse me, he stumbled into a P-10. That was his one point. Because somebody got disqualified. Was that, though, in Austin when Lewis got I feel like it was an
1: American race, and I, I will say this, I love a good conspiracy theory when it's not political. That was a bankroll point if I've ever seen one. Something just felt off with that dude. Yeah, like,
2: I'd honestly pay to see. Like, if they had a pay per view of just like failed F one stars, and they put in like Latifi and and <laughs> Nick DeVries, and Logan Sargent and whatever that Indian Indian dude's name was from like twenty
1: fourteen.
2: I'll look at fifteen. It
1: uh, I'll like, look it up. Keep going, you son you of a know bitch. I am
2: talking about. Um, Anyway, just like a a race in a spec car series of who's, like, the worst driver, I would literally pay for a pay-per-view of that, 100%. But, like, Albon, to me, is the best driver not in the top 10. Okay. Like, he, like, kind of Nick was saying, like, I had really high hopes for him in the Red Bull seat, um, but he crumbled under the... Massive weight of one helmet, Marco, and that's a pretty common theme there. Um, unless you're a robot like Max, you just don't do well in the chamber of fear that is Red Bull. Uh,
1: by the way, were you talking about Karun Chandukok?
2: No, Karun Chandukok is was actually a decent driver. I can't remember his name, maybe I'm oh,
1: Karthik, yeah, Karthik Hayan. I'm really <laughs> setting my people back by butchering these names. <laughs>
2: No, there's there was one Indian driver, and I want to say it was like in the early early to mid yeah, 2010. I'm
1: literally at the Wikipedia page for Formula One drivers from India. There's only been two: Narain Karthik Khyan. He it was, must be uh, him
2: then, and you're just butchering it because that doesn't sound familiar at all. But he was shit. He was like barely making the 107.
0: He was
1: on the Jordan and the HRT teams. I'm hoping that kickstarts something for you. Because whatever. I mean, you just got to
0: realize, Todd, that like, but even guys like Jason Caffey and Dickie Simpkins got rings with the 72 and 10 bulls. So (laughs) sometimes stumbling your way into victory is just the way it has to be done,
2: (laughs) which which is fine. Like, I understand why the Latifi's and the strolls and the sergeants of the world are in there because it is a pay to play sport. I get that. They, They fucking signed. Excuse my language. They signed Logan Sergeant next year. Williams confirmed him for the seat next year. So whatever his is oil rich daddy threw down to make Williams keep him, I'd love to like have one percent of that because I'm sure it was a whole lot of money. But like I'm gonna... the, the point I... of that whole thing was that like Albon is a hell of a driver, but he also wasn't challenged, so he can't be MVP. But I do want to know M I P M I P. Oh, sorry. Uh, who's your worst, who's your most, not worst. Cause that's Sergeant, but who's your most disappointing driver of the year?
1: I'll, I'll give you one and it's off the beaten path for me, but I have high expectations for this person. I think Esteban Ocon was a pretty big disappointment for me because I assumed that he would be the number one driver in Alpine. And I think Alpine was the team that disappointed me the most because I had higher hopes for them than I did almost anybody else. And to see them actually take a step back because we're so used to them being the fifth place team. Like that was almost as inevitable as a Max Verstappen win in a lot of these years. And now to see them, I think, in sixth, something's broken. And I thought Ocon being the senior driver, he wouldn't kind of have the measure of Gasly in a way. And when you look at the actual driver standings, Gasly scored four more points than them. And I think that ultimately is the conundrum that Alpine faces. Who's the better driver? I think Gasly is more consistent, but Ocon has a higher ceiling. Like, Ocon is very likely to pull a podium place as he is to crash out of a race because he ran into his own teammate. Gasly <laughs> just plays by the rules a little bit better. I'm so glad you said that. I was about to make the same
2: joke myself. That's Nick, High mind Who's your most disappointing? Uh,
1: I mean, i probably agree with that. Ocon. But Ocon also got a, a podium in Monaco and a fourth place in Vegas. That, on the surface, is a fairly successful season for a non-top-five team driver, I would assume. I, I feel like...
2: The podium in Monaco was circumstantial.
1: I think I, listen, I, I, I just <laughs> reward the results as I see them. Somebody <laughs> had to get it. Okay. I mean,
0: honestly, like, I... I I think I'm probably equally disappointed with like the Haas team. Like I I I thought Hulkenberg would Mr. consistent in his way into something and I feel like they just were consistently at the
1: bottom. And to me the other disappointment is the lack of points that Magnussen scored. Like one point yeah. for the whole year if I or no, I'm sorry. It was was three. it 3? Yeah, three. three points. I thought that would have been a fairly close battle between those two because I think outside of Ferrari, if you would ask me who what is the most competitive team in terms of driver equivalency, I would say Hawks. Yeah. I, I think
0: I think that this is a tough a tough question to answer too because my expectations weren't high for anybody at the bottom of the grid. You know, like my expectations for Magnussen, for Holkenberg were probably a little bit more than the rest. Uh honestly like I'm even disappointed that Valtteri Botas didn't you know perform better I feel like I feel like that that car is capable I feel like Guan Yu Zhou is probably going to be like like around for a significant more amount of time and and will probably do better than Valtteri in the next couple of years if if he's even around I mean honestly he's probably going to retire from Formula One and just sell you know OnlyFans right like at this point like that's
1: <laughs> I'm ready for the Valkyrie Boatass Manthon collection. God, that was a good calendar. <laughs> I'm sad I didn't get one.
2: Uh but good on him for yeah, raising so much cool. money for charity. That was yeah. that was awesome. But you nailed my answer, Nick. Uh Valtteri, Mr. Mr. Boatass uh Terry. Terry is is and there's no question about this. Is a better driver? did joke on you the car was capable at times and i don't know what like he was in no man's land most of the time i know he struggled with getting through traffic in um in his time at mercedes like the you know the off qualifyings he would have he'd qualify in like p13 or something and struggle to to make his way back up even with a car that was faster than the field but I, I guess I had higher hopes for him in, in – I know that the car wasn't always there, but, like, leading the team. And it very much felt like, even though it doesn't say that on the score sheet, that Joe Guanyu outperformed uh, Terry at most points in the season. Maybe it's him the confidence for his new hairstyle, which if you haven't seen – Please go Joe jo- jo- Twitter.
0: Is is this a is this a performance issue with Valtteri and his mustache mullet com- combination causing too much drag?
1: What the fuck? Are you kidding me, Joe? <laughs> I can't believe
2: you had seen that.
1: <laughs> Why would I see him without a helmet on? Like he is the most nondescript driver on the grid. Is this an homage to Lil Pump? Like what is this?
2: It sure is. He is the most fashionable uh, person Sneaker on the grid, head, for sure. No, I just think he's the most fashionable person on the grid. I I, I think Lewis's stuff is just too try hard. Um, uh, his hairstyle choice—that
1: the tarantula, as I like to call
2: it—I <laughs> I know that's a thing in Asia now, like in in okay. their streetwear style. But man, you're you're, you're that's not you, buddy. Now, there let's...
1: is an American, there's an American phrase that deals with follicle accumulation or degradation, depending on how you want to look at it. Which is "come on home, <laughs> come on home, Guan, yeah. come on home." You don't have to shave it bald like we do in the American sense of "come on home," but come on home. Yeah.
2: Okay, did we did we sufficiently recap? Do we have
0: any other season notes? Uh, what, what's the most what's the most surprising team? Like, I'm not talking about teams, like, constructors' points. I'm talking about Mm -hmm. the teams themselves. You know, like, go for it. I've got a weird one. This might not make sense. But
2: Mercedes. All right. Because, (laughs) follow me here. For a lot... Okay. So they built a car... They completely ignored, like, one and a half of their drivers. They ignored Lewis completely when they said that they, like, I don't know if this is going to get into a weird techie space, but Lewis said the last car, the Uh, driver and the cockpit of the car was moved too far forward, and that was because of the whole zero-pod design. They kept a lot of that DNA in this year's car when they finally abandoned the the zero-pod thing. They kept a lot of that DNA in the car, but it made the car, like, a little too on the nose and, like, unpredictable, under braking. Lewis hated it. He stated in the offseason he hated it. He told the engineers, like, this sucks. George kind of agreed with that, apparently, but they kept going with it, and the car definitely had its struggles off and on through the season. Like, it was pretty slow at the beginning of the year, maybe in the end of the first third, it kind of picked up pace and then they had a lull and then they were up and down all over the season, but for them to get, uh, what did they, did they, they finished second, right? Yeah. They did finish yeah, second beat, in the constructors. Two. Yeah. For them to beat Ferrari, who had, I would say more ups than downs, or at least compared to Mercedes McLaren, who started the first half of the year with a dog shit car for the Mercedes to beat both of them. And Aston, you know, peaked early and then fell off basically for the rest of the season, except for maybe the the very end when they had some pace. But for them to end up P2 in the Constructors is so surprising. And I think, Ro, you've said this a million times. They're just – they're professionalism. Yeah, they're they're like clockwork. They don't make silly mistakes most of the time. Um, But for them to end up P2 in the Constructors is – really surprising to me. I would have put them P4 if you take everything that you know about the car, about the team, on paper. Um,
1: so yeah, that, that was a huge upside for me. I mean, look at it this way, right? A year ago, they were P3, 515, and we were just wondering, is this over? Now, fast forward a year, we're no longer speaking in those kind of somber eulogy tones of, is this over? We think they may have a shot at something. We don't know what it is, but that's the pleasure of the word something. It can be a snowball. It can be an avalanche. The thing that I find most interesting going into next year is we, if things are done properly, we will find out next year who truly is the P1. Because my argument is, in Russell's first year as a Mercedes driver, I thought he won the round 10-9 to Lewis. I think this year, Lewis had a bit of a resurgence and kind of said, hey, I've still got some tricks up my sleeve. And I almost scored 10-8 to Lewis this year. And that being said, it's always a three-year evaluation process for me because you always have one year where if you're brand new to a sport, you have the element of surprise. You can surprise people because people don't have the tape on you, so you can get away with a lot. That second year, people have too much tape on you, and they're going to go out of their way to make sure you don't score in the ways that you're likely to score. So that third year is when we evaluate a player properly and I think that's what is going to be the most interesting subplot for me from a Mercedes perspective going into 24. Yeah, I think
0: that's going to be really interesting. I think I think the dynamic between Lewis and and George is also really fascinating to me because people I'm not I'm not pointing directly at Todd if you're not watching the video version of this, but I'm pointing to Todd with my hands oh, yeah. here. Like Todd always undervalues Lewis's placement on the track and his finishing, right? Like, we've 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 gone through like you know the season where like it's like surprising how far ahead Lewis is, you know, like of George because it always feels like George is right there with him, but like Lewis Lewis beat him by sixty four points, you know, like you can you can count some of that to team issues, blah blah blah, but like that's a that's a pretty handy little ass whooping, you know, for a team member, right? Like if anybody else beat that, beat the other team team member with, with a car as capable of a Mercedes car, we wouldn't even be talking about the second driver like this. And I also, I also know that there's like a big changing of the guard that will happen with Lewis and and George at some point, you know, they're both signed for a couple more years, I think. Right. So it's like, we know this will eventually be a talking point that everyone is talking about but i do think that they they made some some pretty impressive improvements like throughout the season i personally like when i think of the team i got to go back to mclaren just because i if you would have bet me i would have lost everything betting that mclaren would never come close to touching red bull in a pit stop and they turned multiple 1.9s a 1.8 like their pit crew like chef's kiss, man, like unbelievable because they were, they were in the like three to five second range for a solid like two, three years. It felt like where it was like, nothing was ever going right. So to me that was like the biggest wow factor from one of the teams where it's just like shit. Like they're actually like, they're doing it, you know, like they're, they're showing up and, and like showing out in a way that like they just hadn't before. So I think that's also like, you know, to, to next year, it's just going to be incredible to to watch. Like, the more confidence these teams get, the better it's going to be for everybody that that watches. You know, I
2: will say, like, speaking on McLaren, like if we would have talked at the beginning of the year, no, no chance would I have thought that they would have a competitive car at any point of the year, and they they were legitimately the fastest on track in a couple of races. So, yeah. Another good
1: surprise as a diehard, sad Papaya fan. No, I think for me, <clears throat> the most surprising team is Ferrari because I think we put a lot of stock in Vassar coming in, being what we called at the time an adult in the room and not succumbing to what I felt Bonato did, which was what Todd previously alluded to as remnants of the Chamber of Fear. I don't think it was a full chamber, but it might have been a little nook or an enclave depending on how classy you are as an individual maybe a mudroom but it was also one of the thoughts that i continue to sound like a broken record over this i still think signs is a better driver it literally took back-to-back podiums for charles to overtake him from a points perspective at the end of the year and i also am going to say this on record i think no driver would benefit more from a change in scenery than charles leclerc but unfortunately, I think he is the most stuck driver in his team outside of Max Verstappen. And that is Didn't really going to find be him. I'm sorry to interrupt Who?
2: you there. No, no. I'm pretty sure they just signed Leclerc
1: to 2029. No, but what I'm saying is this. Even if they hadn't signed him, the way that they've always spoken about how this is his birthright, his godfather race for this team. He's from Monaco. Ferrari has always been in his blood. He was as close as a legacy as we're going to get. In a not in a biological sense, the way Lance Stroll is with the Racing Point or Aston Martin, like Leclerc would never move because of external forces. Let's call it that. But I think he would benefit the most from it because I do think there's a crippling pressure that comes with that sort of need to fulfill his godfather's legacy, his own legacy. And I don't think he will ever win a title at Ferrari, but he's more likely to win a title elsewhere. And just kind of still watching that come to some sort of conclusion where, yeah, he beat Carlos this year. I'll take my L in that regard. But I still don't think it's going to do his career any good the longer he stays there. And which, to Todd's point, now is through 2029. I think. Do you, in fact, let me ask you this, and then I'll stop talking after this. From now until 2029, do you see Charles, I'll give you an over under of 0.5 world championships, Charles Leclerc. Are you taking the over or are you taking taking the the under?
0: For sure. I
1: like it. Ooh.
0: Well, Todd debates that. That's really let me, let me, tough. Let me throw some points out here about it. Because go, go, go. I think the thing that, that, like, we talk about the Chamber of Fear at some of these teams, right? Although it doesn't feel like it for the last, well, to, to Todd's point earlier, 14 years, whatever it's been since Ferrari was really, like, truly competitive. 15 years, whatever it's been. Ferrari is still, like, absolutely the the team that expects to win over every other team. Like, Red Bull and Mercedes are still young sure. punks in this sport. Like, nobody expects them to win. Like, they aren't built on winning Formula One. Like, Ferrari is, what, 16, 17 titles? I mean, and it's crazy to, to like, get into that, like, legacy now because Williams has 9 or 10 And we would never think of them as winning a title, but I do think Ferrari being as like dependent on racing and I I would say slash racing in its blood because it's a, it's a, it's a very like flip of the coin approach to, to their business. They have to win at formula one in order for this to make sense. Like in order for their business to work and like succeed in the way that it always has. If you look at street cars, and I know like I go down this path probably too often on here, but if you look at street cars, people don't care about the Ferraris the way they used to. Like legacy, you know, vintage Ferraris, of course, like a little bit older Ferraris, yes, like the people that grew up wanting a Ferrari can now maybe go after a Ferrari. But the new cars out of the gate, the new production vehicles, Ferrari doesn't have over the last four to five years, doesn't have, or maybe even 10 years, doesn't have the excitement that they used to have just straight out of the gate. I personally think that's Michael Schumacher winning for, you know, how six, seven years straight. I think there's a direct correlation to that that happens after the fact. And I think Ferrari as a company off the racetrack has to start winning on the racetrack in order for people to get excited about them the way that they once were. And I also think that they are kind of they've got to figure out what they're going to do with sports car racing and formula one. Cause right. Like they're going to Lamar. They, they, you know, like these are things that like these two worlds don't exist together in our conversations, but it feels a lot like they've got some good things going on the other side of their business in the racing world. And they, for some reason, like lost focus with the formula one aspect. And I have faith mm-hmm. in the legacy of that brand coming back around and honestly like Leclerc is a, is a great driver. I don't know if he's long-term world championship winner, but he's definitely an in between, you know, Max and whoever the next 5-year run is type of driver in my opinion. I I guess I would question your
2: question with a question <laughs> because is in that context are you assuming that Charles Leclerc is with Ferrari until 2029?
1: Because my question to answer your question, to answer <laughs> Nick's question, to get my question was over under Ferrari championships from now until 2029 at 0.5. Okay. Under. So, so no shot. No, so we're it's, not, not gonna... it's
2: no shot. It's, you said it yourself. <clears throat> Carlos Sainz is not a better driver, but he's a more
1: consistent driver. Oh, no, I said he's a better driver. I, under, I will, said, I will,
2: yeah. I'm, I'm correcting, caveating. Um, he's, Carlos Sainz is a more consistent driver than Charles Leclerc. And that's the reason why, why Charles Leclerc, I think, won't win a world championship with Ferrari because you can't have, you, you, you can't be a consistent racing driver unless you're Fernando Alonso while having to make your own strategy decisions. Like Carlos Sainz is out there like, nope, we're boxing this lap. I'm coming in just so you know, like, I'm not giving, I'm not giving you plan E. I'm coming in this lap. And Charles Leclerc is like, oh, okay, okay, daddy. I won't, I won't box this lap. And that's literally what it takes. Like, excuse me, my throat's scratchy. Um, Max is out there. Like GP tells him like, hey, uh, let's, let's manage the tires. And Max is like, okay fastest lap like that's what it takes you have to like have that killer instinct charles leclerc is super fast when he's on but he also is like knife edge super fast it's it's the qualifying in monaco where he's on pace to take pole clips the wall wrecks the car and then can't start the race
0: that's like i feel like that's going to be his legacy so i have a question uh, cuz so i feel like in order to in order to be competitive with someone that's as dominant as max you literally have to be pushing your limits to where it's either i hit the wall or i win and sometimes you're going to hit the wall okay like especially someplace like monaco but like i know where i know like we're saying that Carlos is more consistent. But is he? Like, it feels he... like Charles has been <laughs> on the podium way more than than
1: signs. It does. And it's almost a <clears throat> mirror image to the Alpine situation in the sense that we think Gasly is a more consistent driver. Charles may have more consistent mm. highs. But then the other issue is, Charles Leclerc's body language betrays him in a way that Carlos's doesn't. The best thing I can say about Carlos Sainz, and I've said this before, is he just puts his head down and drives. There are situations where Sainz will nick a wall, or he'll hit something. He does not let out a blood-curdling scream the way Charles does. Like, I can't think of a (laughs) no! from Carlos Sainz. (laughs) There's a reason why he's the smooth operator. Well,
2: he did it, remember... When they took away his party, he was no, 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 that's not fair. No, no, he was so calm about it. I think he actually cried too. And but... I
0: do, and I do, I do think that like Todd makes a great point, right? Like, you, it seems insane, but like, you kind of have to be even more of a dick than you are normally in order to be like a championship winner, right? Like, you have to have ultimate confidence in your own decisions over whatever, you know, whatever people on the pit are telling you right like because once you get into that just yep. mentality of like the back and forth <laughs> or even thinking about it like this is something that that like we don't hear all the radio communications but i would love to have the, the stats to see what drivers talk about switching positions with their teammate most frequently and least frequently because i bet you the people that are just like that don't give a shit about that and just drive are consistently outperforming the ones that are like, shouldn't we, be, you know, like, I, I know Russell does it occasionally, like where it's like, sh- should we switch? Or can he can he stick around and give me a toe? And like, you know, like, playing the team game, and I, I'm there's nothing wrong with playing the team game. Frankly, this season, if you're not playing the team game to win second in the constructors, what are you doing? Right? What yeah. are you doing? But it does feel yeah. like Charles just doesn't have that like killer instinct on his own. And maybe that's something that he comes into in the next couple of years, you know?
1: But but Nick, this is where I think I like how you frame this, which is you have to embrace your inner dick to try and compete Max dickishness. But the thing is, I think Charles does do a better job of tapping into that. But it's the Wario meme at what cost, because every time he does try to tap into it and he does it more than Carlos does, it leaves him a yeah. broken man. And it's almost that Carlos Sainz knows himself better that I don't have to be that guy and I'm still going to get the same results as my teammate who does have to be that dickish kind of guy and who, until I'm proven wrong, has historically shown he can't handle the failure that comes along with being I aggressive.
0: Mean, I think that's like taking that a step further, right? Like we talk about this with like the earlier days of Max being aggressive, the early days of, of Seb, of Lewis all being very aggressive. One thing that I noticed this year more than I have in previous years, mainly because, like, I, I guess, like, there was moments where Max had to fight through the field to get back to the front. Nobody hold, nobody is willing to, for lack of a better term, put Max into the wall, right? Like, Max, Max can go the furthest in, the furthest. He can take the worst line into a corner ever, and nobody will, like, let him run into them nobody will brush make contact with him like he probably didn't make contact with more than two or three cars the entire season even though we know he had to fight through a bunch of cars many times and i think that's partly because he's such a dick off the track right like i'm sure that guys don't want to deal with him complaining like look if you if the three of us line up and we race who do you think we're the least we're like the most fearful of like speaking to after a race it's max nobody else on the anybody else on the on the track feels like a human being max doesn't like so all the drivers like dance around him i can't remember who it was somebody in vegas maybe it was george russell if i'm remembering right but like he obviously like it was it it was a blind spot he didn't see him whatever but like the knee-jerk reaction to get out of the way versus just letting him like letting the contact happen and i get there's billions of dollars at stake you don't want to hear it from your bosses that you just wrecked a car but also like if you're always playing like the i gotta get out of max's way role you're always going to get out of max's way and he's always going to win right like that's just how it works because like yep i think like max is even more strategic than he was three four years ago right we've said that in previous episodes but the problem is he's also more aggressive than he ever has been into a lot of those situations.
1: I think he uses the power of his perceived aggression as much of a psychological tool as his actual racecraft. Like he knows he has that reputation and he knows when to lean in on it. And he knows when to kind of pull back from it.
2: Uh, He's definitely grown in that, like the ethereal racing side of it uh, massively in the last couple of years, but he's also had a car under him, in the last, you know, year plus that <clears throat> he didn't have to worry about it. Like he can be like, okay, you, you can t- overtake me in this corner. I know I'll get you on pace.
1: I, and on that's pace. more startling than him <laughs> bearing down on you. It's just that casualties of I'm going to get this back. So you do you big guy. I just don't know if we've had somebody that's had
2: a cons- a consistent enough car to battle that. Cause I still think Lewis would give it to him. I think George would give it to him. Fernando absolutely would give it to him if he had the car that would keep up. So I don't know if it's, if it, I, I agree or I can see somewhat like his persona of it, aggression, having uh, a mental edge, but it's also like, I know I can't hang with his car, the pace of his car. So just why fight it? You no, know? I did just look up stats though, to go back to my uh, argument for, Sainz versus Leclerc. Uh I'm way wrong on the consistency piece. Uh Carlos Sainz has 18 podiums and 34 DNFs. Hey. Charles Leclerc has 30 podiums and 17 DNFs. So mirror images of one another. Uh, and yeah. is that during their entire career or just in, in- I did do entire career. So like science has been in F1 a fair amount longer than Leclerc. Um I would which I mean actually it, speaks to Leclerc's dominance even more.
1: Oh, absolutely, but I would be very interested to see if you slice and dice it. What do the Ferrari stats look like? Uh actually only two of
2: uh well so yeah. Leclerc's all Ferrari. He didn't have any all podiums fra- with Alpha Alpha w-
1: with Saber. Okay. Um
2: uh, yeah. Uh, uh and Sainz only had two podiums with McLaren. So uh, fair 15 enough. really. Okay. But I would still betting man or like I'm a team principal and I need somebody that's just going to get me consistent points, like shades of Nico Hulkenberg of past, I would still pick sides.
0: Yeah. But that's also why, that's exactly why I say Leclerc will come into his own in that, you know, confidence, right? Like he just doesn't seem like that dude to me. He doesn't have the dog in him. You're not. Does he
1: have the, (laughs) does he have the dog in him?
0: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it is interesting because, like, signs has two years more experience, right? Like, I think, I think that Mm -hmm. definitely plays into to these guys' confidence. The other thing that's really interesting too to think about, like Leclerc, is like, you know, all these guys being friends is maybe detrimental to their to their ability to come into that like competitiveness that they need to be in. I don't know if that makes sense, but like, I feel like, I feel like LeClaire is, is, you know, friends with Lando is friends with Verstappen. Like they all seem to be fairly close in that top five or whatever. And like, to me, that's not like, there's very few people that can be in that situation. Max being one of them, Michael Jordan being the other, who's like, Yeah, we're great friends. We're gonna go gamble and play <laughs> golf together, but if we're on the court, I'm coming to kill you. Like that's the mentality, right? Oh, like the Kobe and yeah, exactly. the Olympics yep. versus uh yep.
2: Wow. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, Balgas. <about Saul. laughs> uh yeah, I I don't know. Like I, I feel like they have with the exception of Max and Lewis, I think they like have a uh like kind of a hate hatred respect for each other. They recognize like game recognize game. But like, they, like don't want, familiar. they don't want anything to do with each other. All of the rest of the drivers seem like they could like go get a beer together.
1: Mm-hmm. So I,
2: unless Lewis gets a fast car, I don't know if we're gonna see that pure pure like give it everything racing. I mean, who knows? Maybe Lando gets a, a fast car, and he's just like, "All right, like Max, we can chum it up." But yeah. like, you know, if you're in my way on the track, it's over. I just don't see anybody but Max having that. Like, I'm a
0: robot. I've,
2: I'm here to do my job.
0: I, I I think that I don't think anybody will have that level of robot. <laughs> um, but I do think that once, I think I think once you get that first true taste of victory, it might change you, you know, like, so with Lando, like there's, there's definitely an element of like, Hey, you you win a race. You probably keep that foot down a little bit longer to win the next one. If you have to. Maybe
2: he, I don't know. He's, he had that weird year. Like where, when Daniel was coming into McLaren and everybody expected them to be the best friends where he tried to get like super serious and not be goofy Lando. But this last year, He feels like he's back to normal, like, I'm going to make a fart (laughs) joke, kind of like having fun, Lando. You know what I mean?
1: See, I I thought he was the same Lando he'd always been. It's just he was so much far or he was far superior of a driver than Danny Rick was that it just got uncomfortable. And then he's like, well, I guess I have to be serious. Which the weird thing out of all of that is that they did really become like
2: good friends out of those couple years together at McLaren. Even though I almost felt like
1: it was after the fact, like I felt they got met along, like there was a weird tension with them. And I always think when you have a two person team, the way most Formula One teams are, you need competitive balance. And that's why I thought Lando and Signs were a match made in heaven because Signs is perfectly okay being the straight man, and Lando is perfectly okay only being the funny guy. And that's where I thought their friendship blossomed organically in a way that I just thought. You had two alphas with Lando and Danny Rick in terms of a personality thing.
2: Yeah, I can see that. But you're right on the competitive balance thing. Like they were having fun while oh yep. I you know, you got me last race, I got you this race kind
0: of thing. Yep. So let's let let's let's go a little bit further into that to wrap up this episode. How how does that competitive balance work? Like who <laughs> This sounds really fucked up, but like, like Max is the winner and Checo is the loser. Like that's competitive
1: balance. I mean, it no, no that's not competitive balance. That's just domination. And when you have somebody that dominant that they single handedly win the title, it, there's no concept of competitive balance. But from a personality perspective, I do think that there are certain beta tendencies that a good number two driver have that they have to lean a little bit more than a number one driver has to as being an alpha like I think it's harder to be totally a number agree. two than a but number like, one how does
0: that relate to like a team finishing the season you know like in terms of the competition because you know like Lewis Lewis and, and Botas is a great one two where it's like one dominant and one you know Cal, you know Cal, Cal Norton, Rick Ricky so, Bobby combo right but, like, at some point when it flips, you know, the egos flip and the wife leaves and goes to the other guy's pits. And, you know, it's just, it gets
1: ugly. Hey, man, that's, <laughs> that's my concha. That's my Concho. okay? The magic man. But, let, okay, Nick, if you're okay to do a game with me, I'm going to go through the top five constructor teams. You explain to me the dynamic between them in terms of competitive balance. Red Bull number one. Like, how would you define their competitive balance oh, yeah. if such I, a I thing exists? There's no,
0: there's no balance there, right? Like, it's, it's Max versus everyone. I yep. think and Checo
2: he, loses sleep over how much yeah. he hates Max, and Max doesn't care about Checo. Yeah. He's not even concerned.
0: I don't concerned. think Max will... Like, Max is <laughs> never sending holiday cards to Checo in any way, shape, or form.
1: Oh, no, he is, but it's the most debilitating and douchey way of, like, I don't even consider you a threat. In fact, here's $500 for your kid. Like, you're not going to be me anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. Okay, number two is Mercedes. Like, how would you describe that balance? Because that, to me, feels like it's equally poised after two years. Because, like we said earlier, I think George got him the first year, Lewis got him this year. I,
2: I, I just think yeah. Lewis had an off year. I, I we talked earlier about disappointments. I was pretty disappointed in, in Russell this year. He felt most times when he wasn't having a good race that he was trying to, like, it's trying too piss, hard. piss and moan about it or blame it on somebody else or something else. Like, you just had an off day, chief. Like, or you just don't have the pace today, whatever it was. I think he's a good driver. I don't think that. He has yet lived up to the hype that they said, like, oh, we have Lewis and like Lewis is the n- the next Lewis, like his replacement. I, I-, I
0: just don't see that I, yet.
1: I, now, to I me. Say, uh-huh. I think
0: Go ahead. Lewis is off here coming off of 2021. Like, I would not expect anything different from any human being, you know, like easily the most disappointing season of his entire life. Right. Whether it was great racing or not. And whether it was, like, however you feel it ended, like, it's just, like, that's got to be the most disheartening, you know.
1: Mercedes is essentially, to me, modern-day Los Angeles Lakers, where you have LeBron, a.k.a. Lewis. He's a goat to a lot of different people. And then you have this anointed next one. But the next one, in this case, the Anthony Davis, is George Russell. And... There are moments of fragility, whether it be physically in Anthony Davis's case or whether it be seemingly mentally with George Russell. So the last thing I will leave you with in terms of uh, Mercedes stat is George Russell scored 100 less points this year than he did last year. That's a startling jump to me. I don't know how you two perceive that. But going from 275 in 22 to 175 this year, like is that type of decline normal or am I onto something with that?
2: No, I feel like that's a really yeah. good stat to to highlight because arguably Mercedes had a better car this year than yeah, they did last I year. Agree. I
0: agree. Honestly, I think okay. I think Russell's biggest challenge is the opposite of science and the consistency, right? Like I feel like I, if I'm betting on drivers, I'm never confident in where Russell is going to come out and land, you know, like everyone else I can pretty yep. much say within a spot or two where they should be, you know, even, you know, throwing out my hope for Lando winning a race. Like I can be pretty consistent in saying like, yeah, that person's not going to land more than one or two spots off of this. You know, Russell is just like, you just never know. Like, it, it seems like it's just at the whim of his emotion. Yep.
1: Uh, going on with the rest of this parlor game, we talked a little bit about Ferrari's competitive balance. Do you guys want to add anything else to the discussion we had prior?
0: No, I, th- I think, I think those two guys are so closely <clears throat> competitive that it's, it's kind of interesting. Like, I don't think that's a problem within that team. I think that the problems have been with the organization as a whole, obviously, because the pit strategies still are, <laughs> yeah, just Shit. not there. So. I was gonna say
1: we could beat that dancing (laughs) or prancing horse into the ground. But one one set from a Ferrari perspective that I found fascinating, they scored 406 points. Leclerc got 206 signs got 200. That was the closest gap. Leclerc got 50.74% of their points like that is razor thin in terms of a margin. So I agree with you, Nick, in terms of competitive balance. Up next are, or rather is a team that's really personal to both of you. It's your beloved team, Papaya and McLaren. Like, what do you make of that competitive balance after just one year?
2: I, it's hard with like such a small sample size, but I would put it also at that razor thin. I know Lando had, had the bulk of the points. Um,
1: not as much as you would think. Lando only had seventy. Uh, where is McLaren? Lando had sixty-seven percent of their points this year. So two out of yeah. every three points was Lando. So
2: I, I would put that at be, being that, or giving the excuse to Oscar that it was his rookie year. I would still put that at, at almost a fifty-fifty partnership. I'm really excited for where Oscar goes in his second year. I'm hoping that the cars. There going into 24, and I could see them, you know, fighting for for P2 and the constructors.
1: So you know me, I love a good over under. Over under, Lando scoring 58 and a half percent of the points next year for McLaren. So dropping from 66 to 58. I would still put over on Lando yeah. for that, uh,
2: just because of he's going into what like his 6th year in formula 1 there's a chance we we're going to have some sophomore slump moments for Oscar we don't know where the car will be uh but it's on the trajectory to be good but uh you know he's still going to have some some rookie-ish mistakes yeah. I'm sure and also I feel like the gap would have been bigger this year but Lando had a couple spectacular failures crashes whatever this yeah, year I
0: think I think Piastri obviously by far outperformed anything that anybody really expected of him. Cause I think the other piece to that expectation is like nobody really expected the, the McLarens to find the consistency they did at the, at the
1: second half during the second half of the season. They took a half of a season off and then they still finish where they finished. Yeah. That's very impressive to me. Yep. Like that's I, a freaking giant. I mean, it's I'm
0: probably more optimistic towards that team going into next season than any other teams just because There's, there's the possibility that Piastri, you know, has a sophomore slump situation, but like in general, like the, just the positive energy and the trajectory of the team, nobody else is moving in the right direction all across the board, the way that team is, you know, like everyone else has some issues to, to figure out, you know, we're not going to get into it, but like even Mercedes has their off the track, you know shenanigans to deal with that are going to be distractions and you know like nothing's going to change about red bull like checo's still going to be a really good driver that will very rarely win or podium because max is the priority rightfully so so yeah it's going to be i think mclaren's the most exciting team to watch next year
1: perfect and let's end on a laugh talk to me about the competitive balance between the fifth place team todd's favorite team todd's favorite driver. Aston Martinvich with the one Lance Strolovich <laughs> and some guy named Fernando. Can you remind me of the point spread? I would love to do that, Todd. Of the 280 points that Aston Martin scored, Fernando Alonso scored 206.
2: I mean, to be That'd fair, be... that's still two out of three points, right? Oh, it's closer to three out of four. <laughs> Okay. Well, I'm not even going to rant. I'm too tired to rant about last year. right now. I mean,
0: he finished right 10th now. in the driver's nah, standings. I think that says a lot for, for Which how good was, Aston Martin was out of the gates. We
2: talked about that in the pre-show. I was genuinely surprised that he finished B10 in the driver's standings. Good on him. He had a couple of good wet races in there. <laughs> I made that joke. In, Is that a joke? It's not even a joke. I've made that statement, I guess, a bunch of times. uh, Lance Stroll
1: is an idiot savant in the wet. (laughs) That's why he has a super hot girlfriend? Is that the joke you were going to make?
2: Nope. Nope. Um, I sent a reel (laughs) to Trevor the other day, our resident Canadian. Uh, It it was uh, sports car racing in the wet at Spa. Like, mega wet. And... They're just going into a breaking zone and spinning off. It was like Ferraris and Porsches and stuff crashing a, it, uh, into each other. And he just replied with, and Stroll <laughs> takes the lead, which is a funny and perfectly said response. Um, I mean, there is no competitive balance. Like, he's just here
1: because his dad's name's on the door. Like, yeah, the way. This is the best season he has had from a driver's standing perspective. I didn't look at the actual point totals as I'm going through all the seasons, but 10th is a pinnacle for him. But he finally
2: had a car to do it, right?
1: But did he, though? Because he didn't really do it for much of anything. This is a Fernando-led operation. Well, yeah, 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 but, the, like,
2: I think, was there any times where Fernando and Stroll had a both had a good race where Stroll That's beat a- him? Let me look that up.
1: I can do that for the look, next in Vegas
2: I, I think in Vegas, Stroll was, what, fifth or sixth? Something like that. He was pretty high up there. But didn't
1: Fernando have something go wrong? Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, if you ask Fernando any race, okay. he didn't win. Something went well, wrong. Yeah. So.
2: He got P1 if it wasn't so for... I'm going to hop in with insert Robert's something uh, here.
0: default question here. Over, under, number of Stroll family members in Formula 1 at the end of the 2024 season.
1: Five? What's the line, Nick? C- Got to be complete point five, the yeah. Complete the play. Over, under? I'll go over, because we, I think... Are we counting Wolverine's, Daddy uh-huh. Strolovich in this? Yeah, I am. That's why I'm going to say... I'm, in fact, I'll make the hot take that Lance is gone. <laughs> His dad will still be around.
2: No, no chance. No chance. I'll take the... I, Listeners, I believe we all have all our day. first
1: bet for the next season. Tune re-
2: I'll t- take the over all day
1: on that. Wait, we're agreeing there. on that then. We're both saying... Wait, no. They... Let's, How, do, no. Let's, do the, let's do the line at one and a half. Over, under one and a half. Because you're saying both. I'm saying one. Okay, yeah. Okay, I'll take the over, 100%. Yeah. First There's juice no- box bet of 2024.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next week when we actually review the hot takes and said juice yes. box
0: bet from this year. We got some good ones on the way too. They are definitely, uh, I, some of them are very cool hot takes to be honest, but fun to read nonetheless.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, we know Dr. Evil is going to say something racist. In that's Oscar not a interview. hot take. That's
1: a statement. And uh, before we kind of give our AKAs, and this will hopefully buy me time to come up with an OnlyFans one, I just wanted to say this. Uh, I had the fortune of going to my significant half's Christmas party, where Miss Stephanie, probably our number one fan that's not in the Discord, and more importantly, not a dude, was very accommodating to us. She loved everyone's insight on this show, and she basically made me do an episode with her at this party, much to the chagrin of almost everybody there, including my wife, and her husband, who is a very lovely gentleman who played professional hockey, so I will not say anything else about him other than he's a lovely gentleman. So thank you, Lane. Thank you, Miss Stephanie. And I appreciate you guys being fans of the show.
2: Stephanie, please come on the would show. That
1: awesome.
0: Also, for the folks that are not in our live studio audience, apparently the way to get into the live studio audience is just figure out where Rowett's
1: holiday parties are, right? You can just... Catch him on the spot. <laughs> yeah. That's at an undisclosed location that rhymes with mucky mees. Chuck E. Cheese, Todd. <laughs> that could have gone of two.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. Well, if it's didn't if a Thailand phrase didn't just enter your head <laughs> head there. You
1: then, can then find then... me at OnlyFans on Fucky Feet. No, I'm kidding.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh God. All right. That wraps it up, I think. Good enough season recap. Give us another one. I was actually fatigued by the end of the season of Formula One, and now I'm like, damn it, we have like 80 more days until.
1: I I missed it. I'm glad we didn't do this episode right off the bat, because I think it would have been not as funny and not as entertaining to us, and now it's a lot less depressing. Very true. (sighs) Hey, make sure to hit the first
0: link in the description and join the Discord so you can continue the conversation in between episodes. You can follow the group at FM on all the platforms. You can find me, Nick Engvall, on all the platforms I'm trying to use threads more. I'm trying to get these guys to use threads more so I can stop supporting the terrorists that run X Twitter, X Zitter, whatever it's called. But guys, guys, <laughs> guys, Shitter. let not know how
1: they can find you outside of the show. Uh, you can find me as the Punjabi Porpoiser on OnlyFans. I gave you another one, Todd. You asked for it. It's the holiday season. Uh, but actually, you can find me on X at Rohizi on Instagram at Rohitem. I guess Rohitem on threads. I posted my first thread, which was Happy Hip Hop Awareness, uh, Flute Awareness Month. Shout to Andre 3000. And yeah, maybe I'll, my New Year's resolution is one thread a month for the next 12 months. Todd, where can they find you?
2: Uh you can find me at dadshu.jpg, that's s h-u e on Instagram. Uh dadshu underscore jpeg on X shitter as we just named it. Uh, I'm dadshu.jpg on threads as well. You can find me on OnlyFans at bumping pump pumper nickels.
0: Uh
2: which is alluding to what we're gonna talk about
0: with the oh, wolves. Oh man next week thanks for watching listening uh hey leave us a review if you get some get a chance we appreciate you we'll catch you on the next one
1: peace Bucky. beast